Well, happy Monday, everybody. It is August 21st. I think this is our 33, 33rd live stream. And it's so nice to see you all today. So uh, we have some things we wanted to talk about today. But um, first of all, David, would you like to start us off? And uh, feel free to select your favorite accent. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> or not. The solid ground blurb. No, yeah, that. no, no, that, that's really good. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> solid ground is a peer support community. No, that sounds awful. For anyone concerned about the imposition of, I'm just going to sell for it, imposition of critical social justice, CSJ, aka woke, and or COVID mandates in the workplace, university, children's school, or community, we offer weekly online peer support groups in which members share ideas, thoughts, and support for how to navigate the impact of these ideologies. And answer the question, where do we go from here? So you can join one of the groups for only $5 per month. To find out how to join our community, please visit solidgroundsupport.com. And please note, Solid Ground does not provide psychotherapy or legal advice, and nothing we do should be construed as such. Now do Texan. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, can't you, you're from Texas, Leslie. Do you do Texan? Oh, I am always doing Texan. It doesn't have to be that. Okay, it's a little. Yeah, yeah it can be subtle. Movement. No, no, it's yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. The Texans in the audience will get mad now. No. <clears throat> Did anyone do a British accent? Do you know, honestly, like one that it, it has to be one that's not Mary Poppins esque. Big, Jennifer, big I think Jennifer can. <laughs> not really. When I, if I do, it is Mary Poppins. <laughs> it's <laughs> Sorry. not 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 Cockney. <laughs> not do Eliza Doolittle. The Rhine is fine, falls blindly on the plane, like that. I don't think I can. I'm afraid to try, so I won't. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, so all joking aside, we wanted to talk about something kind of serious today. So, you know, I've been doing some thinking about these it feels like sometimes we've been, feels like we've been talking about these issues for so long that maybe it maybe we we we're moving along in the culture moving away from them like we can stop revisiting them but then we're reminded that they're real they're, these are ongoing like these DEI trainings this kind of stuff that people are being subjected to it feels like it jumped the shark a long time ago to me but you know then we see things in the news or hear stories that remind us that or hear from people who are coming into solid ground or just that we're, we're encountering that remind us that these are very much still in progress and that they're still having a tremendous impact on people's well-being. They're, they cause people um, a lot of torment, especially people who want to go along with aspects of what they're being trained, but then have some dissonance around other, other pieces of, of, about how they're being trained. So um, one of the stories that came up very recently in the last month or so, how, how long has it been? A little, a, several weeks, um, a, a school principal in Canada committed suicide at, and he was in the middle of going through um, a legal battle with the DEI education um, uh, training board or, or however this was constructed in his area. And he had been subjected to some really horrible insults and um, 
and just these, these very condescending struggle sessions. And this caused him a lot of anxiety. And in the middle of this, uh, you know, some, whatever it was that, that took him over the edge, this torment was too much for him. And this seems to have played a, a big role in what was causing his psychological distress. And I think that's such a potent reminder of how psychologically painful these things can be. And so, um, Deborah, do you want to kind of go into the the background on that a little bit? Do you know the facts a little bit? Yeah, I was trying to refresh my some things down. So let me, let me but I think I'll I'll just try to go from memory and not look at my piece of paper. But um he was associated with the Toronto a school district in Toronto. He had actually retired maybe a year or two before, had both um, taught in the U.S. In fact, he had taught in a inner city school um, in Buffalo early on in his like student teaching, um, but had been a principal um, in, in education for a number of decades. Had retired, but actually got called back to be the principal of a school that I think it was for maybe adults who hadn't finished high school and were coming back and doing learning. So it was mostly adult learners, and um, I think it done really well that year. It was I think his contract was maybe coming up for renewal. Um, and I think he also had generally had a progressive disposition, um, had done various things. I'm not remembering what um, exactly in his past that had been for, you know, helping marginalized peoples. So, you know, to be cast as something racist or like would just be a really difficult thing for him and ended up at this series of DEI trainings that their, I guess their district held um, that were on Zoom. And I think made it kind of through the you know, through the first one, it was probably some of the terminology we've heard about before, but ended up in an interchange with the facilitator in the second of a series um, of these things. And basically she was just using some of the terms of her used to the sort of white supremacy, colonialist. She was basically saying that Canada was really rife with racism and in fact was even worse than the United States. Um, and she was talking about because we still we still kind of revere the monarchy and that was a colonial enterprise and and such. And so he raised his little zoom hand, presumably right and and you know spoke up and basically was very of the mind of I just want to set say that we're talking about facts. Apparently she had brought facts up before and just wanted to make a statement that I don't think Canada is as bad as the US. For example, we have equal funding of students in the education system, whereas in the US, you know, depending on how wealthy your district is, there's gonna be different amounts going to the education system, or we have healthcare for everybody. So he's making these points and that really didn't fit in her narrative. And so she, you know, kind of took the occasion to sort of point out that this was, I don't know if I have the quotes here, like his sort of, like this, what he was being an apologist, this was white supremacy showing. And he did try to come back a few times because with, with, but I just want to give you the facts. And she was not that pleased with that at all. And I think their discussion went on about like four minutes. She referred to things like it's your whiteness, you know, what whiteness is showing. Um, someone else jumped on and talked about him being an apologist. And so, and nobody, I think the bigger factor here was nobody else said anything. Um, there was no, no visible chat in the Zoom conversation. Apparently there were private things going on, but nothing. And the fact that there was someone else jumped in and said, you know, I think you're really wrong about this. Um, and that was kind of bad enough. But then the next week, or they had another session 
And she referred back to the previous one saying, oh, we had a perfect example of this, I'm not getting the words exactly right, this white supremacy, this act of resistance. Um, it, in fact, it couldn't have been a better one. It was sort of like, like how fantastic like this. And so never said his name, but you pretty much knew who it was and who he was referring to. And, it, and this is a teaching or a learning moment or something like that. And so I can imagine how humiliating that would feel. And I think what sort of added to the whole thing also was there was somebody who was, uh, it was a, the superintendent level who tweeted something out about Richard. It, so it wasn't even people didn't speak up for him. It was that people, I think, used the opportunity to get themselves some extra, who knows, favor. And so she said that he was allied with forces of resistance and he was abetting harm to Black students and their families. So that really, that kind of really, really upset him. And he even asked the person to delete that tweet. He eventually had a lawyer like send her, like, you need to do this or we're going to sue you. And she eventually took that down. Um, but he didn't, I think he didn't get his contract renewed. He didn't like, and so, and basically nobody all that time was speaking up for him. Um, he did pursue to have a lawsuit with the um, school board and, and they took the nasty move. I thought of, they eventually filed something against the DEI firm, but only really to indemnify themselves in case he was going to get a settlement from the DEI firm. It was sort of to cover their ass. Uh, I don't think it was necessarily like they cared. <laughs> um, I don't know. I can't say their motives. So those are the different factors that were at play. And I think the other piece that I've heard, I'm not remembering the details, but it sounds like the media in Canada just really went after him. I don't know if there was anybody that sympathetic. And I think if his, I think his case maybe was going to be going to trial, something like I think he was. There was this pressure of, oh no, is my name, my family name, am I going to just be even more uh, what's the word, dragged through the mud, um, even as this case might be coming to uh, fruition. So those are the extra pieces that I know about. It, it sounds like from an article I just found as well, Deborah, on, on top of what you just said, which is a really good breakdown of it, like there was a, there was a, um, a workplace safety and insurance board inquiry that actually, is that what you said, that actually found him it actually found her yeah, to be. It was one group that did sort of support yeah. us. Thank you. Fill, please fill in details because my memory yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but it just said that, that, that you know she the um, DEI lady um, was 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 found. Her conduct was found to be abusive, egregious, and vexatious, rising to the level of workplace harassment and bullying. But that was it. Was uh, it then says in this article that Blitzko said that the damage the professor said the damage had already been done to his character and ruined by the instructor's characterization of him as a supporter of white supremacy. So it's almost as if like, I don't need a, I don't need a, a, an inquiry for some, from some board to, 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 to relieve me of the damage that's been done already. Yeah. Which is even more sad, I guess. Yeah. The work, the workplace safety and insurance board, um, determined that he was owed seven weeks of lost pay due to the mental stress that he'd endured, um, which it, I'm glad that somebody recognized what had happened to him as wrong and indeed as a form of workplace harassment and bullying. Um, but ultimately, it wasn't enough. 
to really help him and to restore his reputation. He was also, I understand from another article, he was also banned from attending a graduation. And this is wow. a guy who really devoted his life to helping people, to educating people, and was really working with people who were not in positions of great wealth or privilege. And um, to be smeared in this way is so unjust and must have been really, really horrific for him, I imagine. That sounds incredibly demoralizing to be, to be called out like that, to be, have those accusations have nobody stand up for you or very few people or nobody publicly willing to do so. And then to be shamed and ostracized. I mean, those are all extremely traumatic social experiences. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, David, I, I talked over you there. Oh, that's okay. I was just going to say, I didn't even realize from the, the account that you guys just provided that, that he only challenged in as much as he was saying Canada wasn't as racist as, as America. And it, I know that's like, that's not, it's not the, the main thing is that is what happened to him afterwards, but just the idea that like, that's all he was challenging. And yet it was, it reminds me of what James Lindsay says of which like critical race theory, you can define it as something that gets thrown at things and, 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 and racism is levied at anything until you can get basically get power over it. It was almost as if, as you, one of you said, like, she went in with a particular narrative, a kind of particular way she wanted the whole day to go exactly like this. And even one small thing, one small little criticism of like, or even question, yeah, maybe not, maybe not quite. And that was enough for her to kind of go straight after him. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing too, is he wasn't, um, he wasn't even, you know, trying to undercut her overall message. He was just suggesting that perhaps it's inaccurate to say that Canada is a more racist, oppressive country than the US and gave very specific evidence to support what he was saying. What she said back to him was, we are here to talk about anti-Black racism, but you in your whiteness, think you can tell me what's really going on for black people you and your whiteness yeah. i just think it's amazing that people are allowed to go into the workplace and speak to others like that you wouldn't be able to go into a workplace and say you and your jewishness you and your blackness you and your asianness you and your islam i mean you would not be able to and nor should you but it amazes me that this is the point we're at when that's even considered a remote possibility to speak that way to people. And someone else later said, called it the whiteness as though there was yes. like, he's not even a person. Like there was the whiteness in the room that said something, something to that effect. And I was like, it becomes this really weird dehumanized like character or, or, or something like this evil presence. And then she just wanted yes. She just wanted, like, it's almost like he was just a tentacle of that evil presence. And she just kind of went, great, the whiteness devil has shown its head so we can go after it now. It's almost as if she she needed this, like this, these abstract ideas of racism need a sort of corporeal form to like have have stuff thrown at it. They long for it. They yeah. Put it in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said, because she very much um, in a later, because it was a four part training series that she did and in a later um 
session, she brought up what he had said as an example of resistance and support of white supremacy, and then encouraged all of his colleagues to share what they had observed and their thoughts about it. And so she was essentially encouraging a pile on. And that's when, as you just said, Deborah, someone referenced him as the whiteness and somebody else, I think, said the resistor or the resistance. And he was just talked about in this completely dehumanizing manner as sort of the, um, you know, the figurehead, the root, the epitome of all uh, racial evil. Just incredibly unfair. Yeah, and I, I know we've talked with lots of people who've had experiences that have elements of this. I mean, I've, I've, that was very similar in some ways to the experience that I had in a class in Seattle at, at Antioch. And um, it, there's something, it's like the, I, I don't know how to describe as the feeling. I, I, I want to work to articulate this feeling, but it's so it just feels like the bottom drops out when you're, you're sitting, when you are somebody who wants to connect and, and feels like there's just here, we can understand this differently. We can, I'm not against what you're trying to do. I just think that you're going about it in, in, um, in a way that's clumsy or too black and white here. Maybe we can adjust the way we're talking about this a little bit so that we can bring it around and you're trying to find the logic in it and connect logic to the emotion that's under it. So everybody can get on board. So you can get on board because you're trying to be cooperative and then you get shamed like this and, and nobody stands up for you. That experience, I think so many people are feeling right now. It, I, I think there are more people who feel this way by far than we see stand up for it. Like, I wonder in that training that he experienced how many people were thinking similar thoughts to what he was thinking. And he was just the one who had the guts to say it. But then when they see him being treated that way, that's a powerful disincentive to speak up. And, and, you know, everybody kind of disappears into the bushes. The irony is that in a lot of workplaces, they frame these sessions as courageous conversations that was bandied about my workplace but um <laughs> they they weren't interested in what i had to say what they were interested in was people who were parroting the exact orthodoxy and they would say to those people um this happened in a meeting each time somebody spoke and parroted the orthodoxy the manager would say oh that's very brave oh thank you thank you it was completely crazy making because you know that person saying exactly what he wants to hear um and then i said something contrary and did not receive similar congratulations for my bravery um so it's you know i think some of these dei consultants are a bit sadistic honestly and really um enjoy getting to abuse a person because it's just they basically put them in a Kafka trap like you're you're racist and if you object to that then that is proof that you're a racist and I just think that there's a certain amount of glee and pleasure that she was taking in striking out at him in front of all his colleagues and encouraging that pile on Yeah, I have an email from Antioch here. They call them messy conversations. 
what conversations? Messy, messy, messy conversations, but they've mm. changed it over time. Like their conversation topics, an update on the state of anti-Asian violence, imagining black girl futures, a discussion of light <clears> and <throat> legacies, stories of black girlhood and liberation, social justice curriculum in undergraduate studies. I mean, those are just the titles of them, but I don't know what's, I don't know exactly how they intend them to be messy, but I don't think that it involves a diversity of viewpoints. It probably just involves a lot of pumping up of this same ire. You know, let's just get everybody fired up. Let's be pissed off together. Yeah. It feels it feels manipulative and purposefully um, uh, gloopy and liquid enough for it to just apply in different circumstances in different ways. So I was told that it was a safe space. Oh, you know, it was, no, they said it's not um, safe spaces, it's brave spaces. We don't agree with it's brave spaces that we're going to be using for people to talk up. And then it, it was trying to encourage the idea that these were going to be, you know, change comes with emotions, change comes with having difficult conversations. And then as soon as I spoke up, one of the conversations I had with my personal tutor was about the fact that I needed to be more concerned with the impact that my conversations and questions would have on other people. So you just think that is that is like a Kafka trap. I can't win, can I? So if it's messy, then okay, all right, I'm being led in there. Stupid old me just following the fucking cheese tray or whatever into the trap. And it's like, but then when I'm there, it's actually no, while you're speaking out, um, you're having an impact. And impact was this word that kept being used multiple times by my tutor and a few other people. That were like, I think there's certain individuals in this group that that aren't aren't aware of the impact that their voice is having on on other people. So it's yeah, it's completely contradictory. Yeah, it's not messy. It's totally directing you. Messy would be we don't know where it's going to go. We don't know where it's going to. It's like we know where it's going. It's everything's getting directed into one particular place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was interesting in the one that I that I experienced the the teacher instead of getting angry and calling me out in the way that this tutor did where she lashed out or not tutor this DEI trainer who who lashed out at him and accused him of of whiteness and white fragility or whatever in right in front of everybody she uh instead took the um took on the appearance of the victim in front of the class and so she had done those kind of comments subtly to me in papers and in in uh, our communications but in front of the group, she she actually started to cry and she talked about her emotional labor and how she had tried to make this a safe place for everybody and that she just couldn't. And so it was like, you are abused. She put me in the role of the abuser and she was the victim and she was asking other people for comfort and which they did. They, they were silent about what I was saying, even though I had just been speaking with people who were saying the exact same things that I was saying. I watched them fade into the woodwork and not say anything in that room. And the, the, you could have heard a pin drop until somebody said, yeah, I think we've heard enough white voices and looked at me. And, and it was like, you need to oh. be quiet now. So there was, the, mm -hmm. that was the, the way that that went, but you know, I think that um, somebody, Jennifer, your point about them taking some pleasure, somebody in the chat, kind of echoed that Emma Louie said yes personality disorder people use DEI to unleash their issues on others I think there's there's something um beautifully said yeah 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 
That's horrible. I, I, I did brought back in memory of what I had as well, Leslie, of, of the fact that um, <laughs> people were signalling to the facilitators having had conversations with me. There was a kind of moment for us to break out into smaller groups after this big auditorium that broke out. And then we had conversations and I was trying to get to understand how much we were talking about like actual racism or like people coming to as immigrants to this country who maybe don't feel like they fit in how much can we account for that how much can we account for like the natural feeling of not being included of being othered and that's sort of, and and she was just basically saying you don't know what you're talking about because you're a white guy and then at the end of this kind of breakout group she signaled to the facilitator she goes she put her hand up and she said based on the conversations I've, I've just had for the last 15 minutes I think there's a lot of work that still needs to be done and I just felt everyone just turn everyone just turned to me and they kind of went yeah Oh. Like, wow. it's all piled on you yeah you're the one you're the one holding back all of society from attaining the progressive utopian dream you're ruining it fucking ruining all the fun <laughs> yeah it's it's crazy it's like i i think that um this experience uh, and seeing how this experience in one human life and we again we we know some of the elements of what happened but i'm sure that there's a lot more to his experience than just what we can see on the surface yeah but we can still see the 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 role that this played in breaking somebody down to the point where they were in despair and we see that all the time in in the people that we talk to and yeah. i've felt that i think you've felt that too jennifer and I'd, I would love to hear more about how you find how you can relate to this, but I think that there, for me, I I was very depressed after this. I went to the bathroom and cried right after that happened, and then I went home and I just felt really lost and really bleak. And I don't know how, I I don't think I could have moved through it as well as I did if I hadn't already had a pretty good community of people that I was establishing because I'd already found CTA by that point, and that was that was massive for me was being able to actually talk with other people to some extent about what was going on and solid ground has been just going, well, we, we started with counterweight and then, you know, moving into our experience with solid ground, but that network of people, because if your reference point really is these people that are around you and you hear them thinking these things about you or calling you these things, then that's really socially devastating. But if you, if you are able to place your reference point outside of that and find another group of people who really are seeing reality the way you're seeing it and can help you to ground yourself. It, I, I think that that's so important to surviving these kind of psychological torments. I'm curious, did you, there's the actual person who's doing the, the struggling or the whatever, and then there's the either lack of support or people piling on. Uh, does, does it feel like one is worse than the, has more psychological impact than the other, or is it kind of hard to parse that? Either any of you, because you've all had various versions of it. What do you think, Jennifer? I don't know. I will tell you that the, the one sort of experience of despair that I felt throughout it was um, when people struck out at me, what disturbed me 
wasn't so much what they were thinking of me. What disturbed me was I realized this has grown way deeper and spread way further than I thought. Mm -hmm. And that terrified me because I received all these hostile emails and they were all written in the same language using the same catchphrases. And it was so creepy. It was like their brains had just all been captured and they were just spouting um, ideology at me. And I felt like this weird chill in my body. And there's just this feeling of, oh shit, this is worse than I thought. And I did get support and I did get some people saying, oh, I absolutely agree. Thank you so much. Um, but just the fact that it had gone so much further, it honestly, it freaked me out and scared me. I was like, how big is this? And what is going to happen with this? It, it really frightens me. And that gave me some um, sense of despair. So it was like this incredulity that this is, this is actually happening. This is actually reality. And, and that made you feel like you'd lost your footing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like waking up, finding yourself a stranger in a strange land kind of feeling. I'm like, and I was like, all these people have been thinking this stuff. And I didn't know that. Like, this is so weird. Like, I thought it was more fringe than what it was, in other words. And like, no one's left to reason with or something like, like, yeah. it's all zombied out. Yeah. And if they're all, if they're all thinking this way, like how much power is this going to gain and what's going to happen in our society? Adrian in the chat, Adrian T says, are you from Canada? Um, no, in this group, we have two U.S. East coasters, someone in the UK and someone on the West coast, Pacific Northwest. So we're not in Canada, but we're hearing how this is happening and relating to it. And uh, let's see, Matt Von Wald says, Leslie, you need to be tough. The silent majority is with you. You're on the moral high ground here. Thanks. I, I, I don't know if I'm tough, but I, I don't feel, uh, I don't feel like I felt then. I think that that's, that was when it was sort of new for me. I mean, I'm just still experiencing this. I think a lot of people who are being brought into these kind of sessions don't necessarily have a reference point for it. Maybe it's crept in to their awareness to some extent, but then they're being confronted by it in these really explicit emotional sessions where you're, you're being asked to uh, avail yourself of some kind of emotional allyship for someone else, feel bad for people because they're victims and feel bad about yourself because you didn't realize, but you're actually the perpetrator of some pretty bad oppression on other people. And so this is a real emotional appeal that's being used in these sessions. And at the same time, you're, you're, you're calling up all these emotions and your brain is going, wait, this, these things are not lining up. Just like for this, this gentleman we're speaking about, he's saying, wait, what you're saying about the U S being the Canada's an even more racist country than the U S that doesn't jive with my knowledge of this and this and this that we do differently. And so he's trying to reconcile that. And he, when he's raising a question about that, he's being slapped down with another emotional appeal. And these assaults come in rapidly. And a lot of times people don't have a chance to really decipher them logically in their minds before they're having to react and respond and feeling the, like you said, Jen, like the, 
like there's some real bizarro world stuff going on with the way you're experiencing this and you're asking questions and then you're watching the way your cohort around you are responding strangely. And, and, and so you're really off kilter when you're in one of these sessions and you're the one speaking up. So um, yeah. I, I think that I, I just really, I, I want to understand what that's like for other people. I've heard a lot about it. I've experienced it myself. And I don't know if it's a matter of toughness so much as just, I think we, we need to arm people with the logical, I guess, uh, foundation to kind of see this coming and, yes. and see what they're up against as it is presented to them. Absolutely. I do think it's better to be not caught by surprise. I do feel lucky that in my workplace, when this happened, it still stunned me because I did think it would eventually happen, but I thought it would be like five years down the road before it really infiltrated. But I had been listening to Jordan Peterson and Douglas Murray, and I was well aware this was going on. So when it came about in my workplace, I saw it for what it was, a bunch of manipulative crap. Um, and so I didn't have a sense of confusion, at least like, oh, what is this? Or, you know, is some of this true? And, you know, kind of needing to examine myself and, you know, am I somehow oppressive? That just didn't, I didn't have that kind of confusion or internal struggle. And thank God, because that would have just made the whole thing a lot more difficult. Um, but I have to say, I'm really grateful that we haven't had more suicides because one of the um, main precursors of suicide we know is um, when somebody has a uh, significant financial loss. And this situation for some people, they are having a loss of a job and sometimes not just a particular job, but a loss of a career, a loss of a professional identity. And at the same time, having their reputation completely smeared. This is absolutely catastrophic for people. There's people who have devoted their entire lives to one profession, only trained in that profession. They cannot easily shift into another profession and make the same amount of money. And they are being absolutely publicly destroyed as a person, an ethical person, and as a professional. And I just really want people to realize and fully appreciate the damage that is being done in these DEI trainings sometimes to completely innocent people who have worked very hard at their organization, who have had years of excellent reviews. Some of them have received rewards. These are often very well-respected, talented, skilled people, and they are being decimated by this by the imposition of this ideology. And it is just ghastly. I add to that too, like that's enough. <laughs> that's like a, a ton as it is. And then I, something about this, this this very existential piece of suddenly potentially having zero standpoint at all to say anything, to, to have any, like to, if you really recognize your powerlessness, if you really sat with that for a while and started to realize like, uh oh, like how bad could things go where anything could potentially be done to me, anything could be, and I might have zero say, like at all. Uh, like, so the, to me, there's something, one might not think about that necessarily consciously, but I think there's something so profound about you. Like you have not, you're a white male, whatever. There is nothing you can say. You can't stand up for yourself. You can't anything. Like when they talk about a race, right? Like that a race word gets thrown around like yeah. a lot, but that's, 
and and to imagine where you suddenly couldn't defend yourself potentially or um, correct something if something is going egregiously wrong. Uh, that just I could see a massive amount of despair from that. Yeah, that suddenly, no matter what you say, no matter the truth or the wisdom and what you're saying, it's completely held in suspicion because of your immutable characteristics. Oh, well, you're a white male or, oh, you're a cis hat. So you don't know what you're talking about, that kind of thing. It's the most dehumanizing thing a human can do to another human. It's just horrible that um, for any group to do that to any group. And I just thought that we, I thought we had sort of worked so hard in the US to get away from that and to really grow and to kind of live up to our own standards. And this just feels to me so regressive and destructive towards what we've built. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you even have a society when there's that much mistrust? I mean, I guess there's this, we're going to educate it out of them. But if you seriously think there's some group of people who are so bad because of some collective association, you know, like you really think you're ever going to get hammer it out of them and you really can't take anything in that they say. I, I don't, I just never see with any of this how the, the, there would ever be a resolution, that there would ever be people coming together, that there would ever be, you know, things working out. That's not, it's not a formula for that. No, there's no logic. I mean, it's illogical. It's shame-based. It's, it's retributive. It's angry and it's based on shame. I mean, the way that this is being done. And um, something in the chat here, Idle Noise says, the thing Peterson and others do is equip you to spot the underlying premises that are embedded in the DEI narrative. And once you understand those underlying premises, you can challenge them. The reason people are caught off guard is because when you hear the assertion of the arguments without the underlying premises being clear, clearly laid out, you are uncertain exactly what is what it is you are objecting to. So you have the intuition something is wrong here, but you can't quite put your finger on it. And I think that's that's really well said. I think that um, Jordan Peterson does a great job with that. James Lindsay does a great job with that. Um, there are a lot of really great resources out there. Unfortunately, I think a lot, it's so, these people quickly get lumped into an echo chamber. And so those messages are not being heard by, I don't know, the, the, the sort of like just your, your average person who's not really clued into this going on. You know, these are, these things are coming up for people who aren't prepared and hopefully more and more now people are seeing this happening. It's like you said, Jennifer, you had some inkling that this was going on more and more people probably have some inkling that this is going on maybe. And, and I think I did, but I didn't realize it was as cartoonishly simplistic as when I, when I confronted this, I thought, surely you're, you're not going to teach it that way. Right. Like we can have a conversation Maybe it's good to have, it's great to have these conversations. Actually, I would welcome that in a psychology program. Like let's have real conversations about the kind of um, the trends and the overall cultural background that people are going to come from. But we should always do that from an individualistic perspective, from the perspective of you never know about any particular person, but here are some here are some social trends that that may influence this and that so that you can be aware with you know and i think that a lot of people probably don't realize that this is as cartoonish as it as it is in its presentation 
No, on that note, I wanted to mention in rapid proliferation, I just saw on Twitter, there's a video that I think if you're an employer, I don't know if it's New York City or New York State, one of maybe the city, you have to show this video on gender ideology if you have 15 or more employees. And it's, it's basically got, you know, I, you know, assigned at birth, you know, it'll show somebody saying they're a certain gender, and then they'll show them as a baby with a different color blanket on. And then they switched the blanket. So like, I wasn't really that. And I'm, and you have to like show this in your company and that they're making employees do this. Uh, I, I, I'm just shocked. Um, Is that an actual training video that's being shown? I saw some of that. Apparently, I, you know, I don't know. I didn't check the veracity of mm. this particular tweet, but I've seen it in a couple places popping up and it did make it sound as though it's something that's required for employers to show. It's very low IQ. I mean, it's really, (laughs) it's really, really cartoony. I mean, it feels like it has the, the intellectual level of something that you would show to elementary school kids when you're trying to teach them about, I don't know, some concept that you're trying to share, but that that's really silly. So really ham-fisted approach, you know, yep. just yeah, pink blanket, blue, swap the blanket. Like, yeah. I, I, I just want to say, like, I, I think I was, I think, I think I was part of a counterweight group for about nine or 10 months before the whiteness day event, I guess the one, one of the things that was the most, the things that left most impression on me from my course, I think, but I even at that point, I would say that I knew quite well how to, not just argue maybe I guess but also in my own mind know that this stuff was ridiculous no it was cartoonish no it was it was shit epistemology and that it was yeah it really wasn't leading anywhere positive but even still I I, I would like to say like I didn't prepare me for some of the things that that occurred and a bit like what Jen was saying that feeling I got I look around the room at kind of a load of my course mates who are sophisticated individuals to a certain degree that can normally approach most tasks with a level of inquiry or curiosity they were all bowed in their heads as if this stuff was like some church ceremony or something and the facilitators at the front were saying whiteness is a sickness and i i the disorientation i felt looking around the room at people i looked up well respected or felt that they were my friends and they were just sort of like this and even when questions were asked they just remain silent I just thought it was really disorientating because I even let I even went home and I sort of just I felt very lightheaded like what the hell just happened and then I think even after that like your your identity as core as you can be as strong as you can be the identity that you have is based upon the way that people interact with you so if they look at you a certain way like cold shouldering you or looking at you like some sort of dissident who needs you know it's not worth you know the, the the sole of their shoe on you or whatever it's just it plays such a big part on you psychologically which is why it is so important to find communities to find people you can talk to outside of that if that happens because i know that there were people in the room at the time that questioned it in their own minds but i didn't have a clue about them whilst i was there and that psychological feeling of like disorientation and ostracization is so powerful that yeah people you just basically need to reach out come find us a solid ground come find some way of yeah branching out to a community where you can get some of that validation because i swear people think that you can just go in there with an intellectual superiority and just you know be bulletproof it's 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 a fallacy i think 
yeah, having having support and meeting other people who can actually think independently and um, still treat one another as individuals is absolutely a lifeline. I think that I probably would have just gone completely bananas without it because you know you start getting paranoid walking down the street. Well, is everybody <laughs> thinking? Uh, that, look at that hideous white blonde woman with all her privilege you know it just you start to feel as if you're you know, imagine as if the whole world's enemy territory and I don't ultimately think that all people are walking around thinking that way but when you've been treated that way and then singled out you can certainly feel that way I think that was what was uh, part of what was so kind of stomach turning about it to me in my workplaces I've been there for like 15 years and i I really worked hard. I mean, I was really invested in my client's success, but also really wanted to, you know, uh, just be helpful in general in the actual workplace to my colleagues, all of that. And I felt like after all these years, it just boils down to, I'm just a white woman to you people mm-hmm. after everything. Cause like, I'm, I'm kind of like the same at work that I am everywhere. I'm just, I'm just myself, you know? Um, And so I feel like you people fucking know me, you know me, but you could still say this to me. That's, that just made me feel sick. Wow. Yeah. That's deeply, deeply dismissive of your worth and your, your individual value and the relationships, the quality of relationships you would have had with them. To have it yeah. all summed up and just tossed out. Right. Nope. At the end of the day, you're a white woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really. And it's dehumanizing to them too, because they're all chopping themselves up into these categories. And I think this is not, this is not how we want to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, it's, it's really, really awful. I, Let's see, somebody in the chat, let's see, John Noonan was telling a little story here. He says, I found this channel because of Leslie's pronoun video. My pronoun company started pushing pronouns at the office. And when I objected, I was reprimanded for violation of DEI policy. Let's see, he goes on. HR officer had a talk with me, told me I violated DEI policies, said there is a zero tolerance policy for me. My job could be at stake. I don't know if he says any more here. Oh God. That's it. Yeah. Imagine that. Mm. Imagine that. It's basically saying it doesn't matter how good of a job you do. doesn't matter how responsible you are, how skilled you are, the level of respect that you give your peers and supervisors. If you don't think this exact way, we're coming for you. Yeah. That is total authoritarian fascism crap Mm -hmm. yeah and that and that they think they're doing it like to prevent harm like that reducing harm should be to some little little thing to somebody versus a very productive person a person who's perhaps training other people helping develop other people like that matters more than someone having a bad feeling for a few moments it's just well, this is the thing of a molecule of harm, like perceived harm, which isn't even. Yeah. And Deborah, that's, that's exactly the point is that it's like, what are, what the harm you're trying to prevent is, is someone feeling what left out, ostracized, undervalued, not heard, 
um, microaggressed, aggressed, what, what is the harm? And so for the hypothetical prevention of that, for someone who may or may not even be in the room, you might be just being reprimanded by one person. It's worth hurting you. You have been deemed to not matter, or you all have been deemed to not matter because someone, this is like when I was in the, I was in the hospital after an emergency visit and a follow-up and the woman, I had an ovary removed for crying out loud. I mean, I had, and the, the gynecologist couldn't say the word woman. She kept saying people with ovaries and people with uteruses. And at one point she said 50% of people or, or over 50% of people will have end up. Uh, no, it was like something higher. It was like over 70% of people will end up with uterine fibroids. And I just looked at her like, and then she goes, uh, well, people with uteruses. And I'm like, okay, so you're going to, and I had said the word woman, I'm, you know, I've got four kids. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, presenting as they, them, I'm, I'm, or he, him, or something else. I am a person, I'm in my, I'm a freaking middle-aged woman and at an OBGYN. And I had used the word woman for myself and she couldn't say it because what she had to represent for someone who's not in the room with us. She had to be inclusive of people who are not even there and, and screw me and my identity and what I might feel. Don't be inclusive to the person in front of you because you have to represent for people who aren't even there. So it was an education of me that she was affecting in that moment. She's teaching me how, anyway, sorry, I'm ranting, but that's where it's, that's where it's really like a religion. Yeah. 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 That's that feeling of we're always being watched. There's some mm-hmm. force always watching. I even had it with a supervisor on Friday. Literally, we were talking about, I was trying to talk about sort of different styles of working. And there happened to be a, a level thing, something leveled at me by my supervisor about the way that I work is a bit more independent. And she was like, I wonder if there's a gender thing in that. Because you're a male, because a lot of people on my course are female, so I'm a bit more of an exception in that sense. Also, I'm a bigot, but yeah. And then, <laughs> but, like, but like she was asking me about it, and then it was like um, she sort of stopped herself, and she went, "But obviously," and then she sort of let this thing out of like, "Oh, but obviously, I meant differences between men and women are all, but all just socially socially constructed differences of men and women." I just watched her; she was kind of like in a bit of a trance. Like I've got to make sure that the thing that I said comes across in exactly the right way. I've got to go back. I don't mean biology. I mean socially constructed. I was just like, okay, yeah, have your little moment, pray to your God, whatever that is. Do you know what I mean? Like do your little sermon so that you get into heaven or whatever it is you're doing, that impulse you've got. It was just laid out in front of me. It wasn't fucking as annoying as yours, Leslie. I'm slightly boiling up at that that <laughs> medical professional that was saying that to you. But yeah. And the, and the doctor was a woman, dare I say? <laughs> The, the doctor, doctor in, in yeah. that experience? Yeah, the doctor was a woman. Well, wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we assume. <laughs> Appeared to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she was a woman. You, are, you were a woman with ovaries. You're now a woman with ovary. Is that yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I'm a person oh, this with is bad. Ovary. Madame Bovary. Sorry, I'm sorry. Very bad. Yeah. I was assigned <laughs> ovaries at birth. <laughs> um somebody here let's see jacob robino thank you so much for super chat he says why should we even believe them when uh when they say their intentions are good they're obviously motivated by resentment yeah 
Totally. I think that is true for a lot of people. I think for sort of normies who go along with it without fully investigating it, they may have good intentions, but for people that are really out there pushing this on the forefront, I don't believe for an instant their intentions are good. I think they're trying to lead a cultural revolution and they're looking for revenge and they're looking to oppress people that um, have different ideas. And um, I think there are people that want, that think that the only way to sort of change society is to take white people down a peg to be blunt. Mm. I do think that. Yeah, I think that that you're right. There's probably there's a lot of mixed motivation in this, but for the people who are really the pushers and enforcers, I think that it's it taps into something. I I think that it's very common and probably all of us have to some extent this urge to control to some extent the people around us here I just repeated myself to some extent but like there we can have that hall monitor impulse the no you get back in line and I this is a this calls that out of people and some people have more of it than others and um let's see some Peter Shell gives us another super chat and says great conversation thank you so much Peter and uh Idle Noise says we should cover Ruben's essay Thinking Sex which I am not familiar with that so that might be interesting to look that up Deborah okay I tried I I didn't spend that much time with it I, I wanted to see if I could get in the shoes of the woman who was the facilitator and potentially like I'm like is she is you know we because we could say she's probably loving this she loves the power and I just wanted to feel into like is there mm -hmm. I, I can't say I got there I didn't but I was trying to feel like is there a clean way in her mind she could be doing what she's doing and um is there any possibility that she isn't just sadistic <laughs> <laughs> and and where I kind of ended up was like if someone really can have a proclivity to to take on a very simplistic um explanation of something and just really imbibe it entirely and think it has complete explanatory power and very simple um i could feel that 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 could be a possibility for some of these people um but obviously once you are in any sort of approach that's coming from resentment of whatever others have like I feel like even if you didn't start with the bad intention or motive it could it could bring you know anything you start to practice a certain habit or something it can change your mentality or it can change your disposition and so I, I think that this is is not, is set up to potentially um to, to warp people um if they didn't start out with it like so much like that way it, it seems to have that potential yeah, it's like, it's like a very corrosive ideology, both to the individual and to whatever organization it enters, I think. But I'd also like to say that when I say that people have these sadistic impulses, I don't also mean that it precludes their belief that they are doing good. But I don't think that makes them less dangerous. I think that makes them more dangerous because all of the people that have done these horrific things throughout history all thought they were doing good. Mao thought he was doing good. Hitler thought he was doing good. They all think that this is for the good of the country, for the good of the people. They believe that. It makes me just go back to, I guess, where I stand on just about anything is, you know, ends versus means. And I just think I'm a means person. Like, <laughs> you know, if you're not conducting yourself, in some way that 
probably everybody would agree is a good way to be carrying yourself and interacting with people. It's, I don't care what your end is. Like, I think it's probably not a good idea to uh, proceed that way. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I, am I hundred percent on that? I, I definitely lean that way means over end process principles. Yeah. yeah. The clue channel says the replacements for mother woman and mother, all the ists and phobe words are communes and we shouldn't speak that language and sends a super chat. Thank you very much. I think you're right. That's yeah. Uh, I don't think we should play. We shouldn't play these stupid language games. And Billy Ray 105 says Jennifer nailed it. I think that's your um, examination of um, the malicious and malevolent intent, but also with this illusion that they're doing good. They think that they are somehow doing something they're yeah i think you're absolutely right on that there's a c.s lewis quote which um do you guys know it it talks about tyranny and robber barons um i've got it can i just read it out quickly because i think it speaks please. To what you're saying. yeah please yeah. Do. it says of all the of all tyrannies a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive it would be better to live under robber barons that than under omnipotent moral busybody, busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated, but those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. They may be more likely to go to heaven, yet at the same time likelier to make a hell of earth. This very kindness of stings with intolerable insult, and to be cured against one's will and cured of states which we may not regard as disease is to be put on the level of those who have not yet reached the age of reason or those who never will to be classed with infants imbeciles and domestic animals pretty hard hitting but it's like it sums yep. up quite a lot of thought yeah it's a great quote thank you you know i've i i love that quote and i one of the things that i've thought i this is maybe sounds a little simple but i've thought about what's the root of evil what is the root not what, where does evil, when does it become evil, but what feeds it? What, what is it that leads to evil? And I, I think, and I know evil is sort of this metaphysical thing and it's not really easily defined in terms of psychology or ethics, but I think that it's the impulse to control others. I think that when you find yourself wanting to control someone else, it's time to check in with yourself. I don't know. There could be a lot added to that, but no, um, Jacob Rabino sends another super chat. Thank you. He says, I agree that it's corrosive. I think the agenda is to make people's mental health as bad as possible, e.g. gender dysphoria, anxiety of race, sex, so they can't integrate into society. A perfect anti-society agent. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow, well, this is, it feels like a really intense place to leave the conversation, but I know we need to do so. <laughs> I know. I could I could just keep talking through the afternoon. It's as long as I had another cup of tea, I'd be good to go. Yeah, I know. I'd love to pick this back up sometime. Um, so yeah, I guess in closing, I, I think that we're all, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very saddened by the news of this this man's suicide he really from everything that i've read about him seemed like a wonderful person and a really well-intentioned sensitive 
person who had done a lot of good in his career in his life. And it's it just stands as a, a tragic example of how ridiculously harmful and disgusting this ideology is. Yeah. Sorry, that maybe that's too emotional oh, right is. there, but yeah. It's, it is. It's a massive tragedy, and it would be it's it will continue to be a massive tragedy if we don't learn from it as a culture. If we don't learn about what can, what it can do to people. And I hope people are waking up to that. Well, last thing I'll say too, what I do really hope is that it does get learned. I sometimes get nervous that it'll just be, oh, it's just not a fad anymore. Let's just move on as though it didn't occur. And there isn't some reflection of society more broadly. Like, what did we just, what were we just doing? Right. And let's not do that again. And I, I, I worry that, it'll, I mean, I'm glad if it moves, but I, I'll be worried if there's just like, oh, you know, next and no reflection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I think that we need to look at this and say, hey, we were heading in a really dangerous direction, assuming that this does pass. I also want to say that I think it's really important to remember that um, what happened to Richard at the end of his life um, with this being smeared and um, victimized in this way and his ultimate suicide does not erase all the good that he did in his life and all the help he gave to the people that he knew absolutely absolutely one more super chat came through thank you jc daedalus daedalus um evil is willingness to be stupid and force people to follow your stupidity based on fear and resentment that's evil yeah i think that's that's well said. And then Emma Louis says, get James S's and Amy Gallagher in the same room for a talk. I have not met Amy, but I did have a chat with James on this channel early on when I was first doing videos and he's great. So maybe that's a good idea. Maybe we could reach out to them, but thank you for a really good conversation, you guys. And I look forward to next week. And thanks to everybody who was in the chat with us. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Thanks.